are you going through those different stages, healing, growing, and changing? Is that something that you know about or that you've heard about? I haven't done a video about it, so I wanted to put it on here of what are the stages of grief? What does it actually look like? If you guys haven't seen, we're going through the book, The Narcissist in Your Life by Julie Hall. Fantastic book. Definitely would recommend it. It gives you a lot of clarity, a lot of ideas. When we're talking about stages of grief, one misconception is that stages of grief have to happen in a certain way. There's a typical way of what we see traditionally of, hey, this is normally what the person experiences. Maybe that's the denial, anger, bargaining, et cetera. Like all those things normally happen a certain way, but they're not locked down to that. So like if you're experiencing a stage of grief in a different section, if a different area, that's okay. Like it's, it's okay to be able to process things in a different way than other people or a different way than the norm or whatever it might be. Okay. So don't think these stages of grief have to go in a certain order. Okay. Also, as you're going through and as you're listening, take a moment to really self-evaluate of like, where am I at? What have I processed? What have I gone through? Or what stage am I currently in? Because understanding you is really the best thing you can do as you try to heal, grow, and change because you're the only person that can change. You're the only person that has that power to change you, and that's you. So let's talk about stages of grief. As you recognize, internalize, and see what stage you're in, write it down below and just give a comment of like how you're doing to encourage other people as they watch this video, as they read the comments of, hey, this is what's going on. One of the biggest things to understand is that there's no timeline, okay? Um, the other aspect is, in fact, the stages, okay? How you think of it, they're states of mind on the way towards a greater acceptance that jump around and don't proceed in order. It says here, there's no straight path or progression of emotions that mourners follow. There's no timeline. Grief is unpredictable with good days and bad days. We never get over the loss of a loved one. Each individual and each loss will have its own unique process for healing. I don't know how many times I've heard like that's one of the hardest things getting over a narcissistic relationship is because you're grieving the loss of someone who's still alive. You're grieving the loss of someone you know is still out there, is still existing, is still living a life typically with someone else. And that's really difficult to understand, to feel, and to process. As you process the losses you've experienced about the narcissist in your life, these stages of grief, these states of grief can be helpful and guideposts in understanding your feelings. All right, so the first one we got is denial. This is a natural and often immediate experience after loss. Denial, like shock, is a survival mechanism that gives us time to handle trauma without being completely overwhelmed by the full reality of it. The denial may be numbness, narrowed focus, disassociation, forgetfulness, or rearrangement of information. Denial can be helpful in the shorter term, but eventually it must be overcome to move forward with healing, particularly to move beyond an abusive relationship with a parent or partner. When we emerge from denial, it can feel disorienting, but our ability to face the facts beyond the denial stage is a necessary step towards overcoming trauma. Denial is oftentimes the first step that people see when they're getting out of their relationship. It couldn't have been that way. They couldn't have been that uh, narcissistic. It couldn't have been that bad. And a lot of times we have to focus and we have to be able to say like, hey, it actually was that bad. It's actually something that you struggled with. It's actually something that happened in the relationship that, yeah, it's not pretty. It's not something that we want to acknowledge, but it did happen. And understanding and having that acceptance oftentimes is very helpful for people as they continue to grow, heal, and change. The second state is the idea of anger. 
Anger typically follows at some point after loss, especially for a person treated to abuse. But because you've experienced vulnerability, harm, and most likely blame for the abuse you endured, you may have submerged your anger in numbing or self-destructive patterns. Women in particular may feel discomfort with their own anger. Acknowledge, acknowledging the right rightful anger you feel towards the narcissist will help you release the blame, discharge the hurt, and take better care of yourself on your path to recovery. Sometimes when I'm talking to people with one-on-ones and they're saying like, I'm just so mad. I'm like, hey, that's a good thing. Because like you need to learn of like, hey, this is what actually happened. You're coming to the realization of this is the truth of what actually happened. There's a part of you that needs to get mad because it was injustice. It was something that wasn't right. It was something that was wrong with what they did, how they treated you. So get mad and then work on getting better and work on growing, healing, and changing because of that. Use that anger to your advantage of, hey, they did this to me. Like they manipulated me. They controlled me in so many different ways. Like I'm not doing that. I'm not getting with another narcissist. I'm not getting back with that person. I'm going to grow, heal, and change. Get mad. It's okay. Number three, bargaining. Bargaining can take different forms. You may try to bargain with the past, with yourself, or with the narcissist. You may tell yourself that if you had acted differently or if you'd been a different person, the narcissist would have loved you. Perhaps you think if you change certain things about yourself, the conflict would end or you would get the validation you hope for. But you have to remember, the narcissist in your life, in all likelihood, will not give you validation, will not change, will not be reasonable, will not take responsibility. The only bargain you can rely on is the change you make in your own life and about you. When it comes down to it, the only thing you can bargain with is the fact that, like, hey, I can work on my change, my growth, my development. You're not going to get closure from a narcissist. You're not going to get them to come back. You're not going to get them to change. Like what you have to understand is you have to focus on you. So many times people start to run that through their minds and start to worry of like, maybe I would have changed this. Maybe they would have loved me. Maybe if I would have done this, they would have chose me. Maybe if I'd done this, they would have cared for me. Maybe if I'd done this, they wouldn't have left for another person. And the end of the day, the short answer is it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with the narcissist, their patterns, their habits, their mask, and what they want. And as a result, it doesn't really have anything to do with you. Number four, depression. You probably have been feeling depressed on and off for a long time. It's virtually inevitable to feel depressed around a narcissist and also once you face the facts of the disorder and your experiences with it. As you process what you've been through, it's normal to feel depressed and at times even defeated and helpless. You may feel less energetic, less social, and perhaps lack motivation. But depression does not have to be your fate. As you move towards a greater understanding and acceptance, your depressed feelings will lift your mood, will stabilize, and you will feel more energetic and motivated. Depression oftentimes is very hard for a lot of people to process after getting out of the narcissist relationship because they've been put in that depressed state by someone's abuse that's constant pushing them, knocking them down. In those moments, a lot of times we have to coach and like counsel people like, hey, like we just have to start somewhere. Like you can't be motivated if there's no momentum. Like there has to be something we can start on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's one thing, two things, or three things just to get you motivated, just to get you moving in one sense. But working out of that depressed state is very key as well as you continue to grow, heal, and change in those areas. Next one we've got is acceptance. Acceptance is not resigning yourself to misery, nor does it mean that the pain is erased. At first, acceptance may come in spurts, interrupted by a return to early forms of grief, such as anger or depression. But at time, as you work through your grief, acceptance will increasingly become the norm. Acceptance means you're moving away from hurt, 
releasing denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and letting in new relationships, experiences, pleasures, and joys. At the end of the day, it's looking back at what you've been through, of all the shit that's been put on you, that you've been put through and saying, hey, that happened. Now, what are you going to do now? How are you going to work on yourself, work on growing yourself, work on engaging with new friends, with new people in your life to say, hey, I want to elevate who I am. I want to elevate my joy. I want to elevate my life. I want to elevate my experiences because I didn't have that with this person. If anything, they took everything from me. I'm going to head and invest in myself. One of the other ones that's a, a state, and it, it's called here the missing state of grief, is the idea of anxiety. And I think you see this a lot in narcissistic abuse relationships is there's a lot of anxiety, right? There's a lot of stuff that's prevalent going on underneath the surface throughout the relationship and then afterwards. So here's a quote here. It says, our fear response system involves several brain and body systems that sends messages that are transmitted over nerve pathways throughout our entire body using a vast assortment of hormones, proteins, and other neurocrendine substances. When you encounter a situation that stimulates the fear response, your entire body sends an alarm that prepares you to face the danger or choose to flee. We do not even have to be actively thinking about those fears on a conscious level for them to impact our level of anxiety. It goes on to say, as you process the trauma you've experienced from narcissistic abuse, anxiety will inevitably present itself and reoccur as you move through different stages of grief. Indeed, anxiety may be your default state, a trauma response that was established a long time ago. Anxiety has a way of regrettingly more anxiety and become counterproductive and addictive. It is not accompanied by awareness and action. As Bidwell Smith explains, worrying about something can make a person feel as though they are doing something proactive about their specific fear. When they really, when really they're just perpetuating the heightened state of alert that keeps them in an anxious state. That anxiety oftentimes will feel like this is how I need to do. This is what I need to focus on. And oftentimes people hyper focus on that and it just perpetuates that thought. That's kind of the point there. Anxiety is one of those like missing states. So what are you going to do? How are you going to work on yourself? How are you going to grow? How are you going to heal? How are you going to change? It's going through those different states of grief. It's going through those different moments of saying, hey, I'm having to mourn the loss of someone who's still alive, who's still out there that hurt me, and I have to work on my healing, growth, and change. Maybe you need to change stuff up. Maybe you need to start adding stuff into your life. Maybe it's regular exercise. Maybe it's getting outside for a walk. It's changing your perspective, changing where you are. It's mindfulness. It's thinking through, how am I living in the moment? How am I being mindful of my body, of my actions, of my mind, of different things like that? Maybe it's meditation, sitting down and processing meditation. We just dropped the meditation thing in the, the NARC app. It's from Bender Bichard. He has an awesome thing on meditation. A lot of people have been using it. It's really helpful. Just how are you meditating? How are you thinking through different things? Um, breathing, relaxation. Um, we've got uh, Manjeet. She's got a great course on some of the some of the things. I think she's actually working on it now. Um, but she's got a great course that's about um, relaxation, about different ideas to be able to get to a healthy state. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's medication, depending on what level of anxiety or what you're going through. But look and get help. See what you need to work on to be able to do that. And the first idea is getting to a state of that acceptance of figuring out this is what's going on. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need to work on.